Hello and welcome to A Wine Blast with a Difference. I'm still Susie, he's still Peter, but this is a special anniversary blast where we're rerunning one of our favourite episodes. Yeah, yeah, favourite for both you and us because we love making it, it's fair to say. Um, it's also one of our most downloaded episodes and it's all about how wine can be a career. Yep, so in this episode we chat to Zoe Driver and Jacob Ledley of the very exciting English winery Black Chalk. We also talk to Amika Zago of Hallgarten and Novum and Georgie Hendel of Decanter. Not only that, but we rustle up some delicious pizza and pasta mm. dishes to try alongside a range of Aldi wines. We do a two-minute blast on explaining biodynamics and we answer a listener question on how to recognise a corked wine. Phew. I'm not sure we got all the energy. <laughs> Need a stiff cup of tea to lie down there, anyway. You know, I think it's fair to say, um, pick up on that, we didn't get along with all those Aldi wines, did we? I don't think so, no. <laughs> but that's okay. Also, I think it's important to add that some uh, or all of those wines may well not be around anymore. Uh, maybe the ones we didn't like will still be hanging around. I think there'll the be show. a lot on I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Could be. Anyway, on a topical note, when we, when we interviewed Zoe, uh, Black Chalk was still building their winery, but now that has mm. been completed and, yeah. and very impressive it is. It too. is. They've got lots of stuff well worth popping in there um i also think it's fair to say our presenting stars moved on a little bit but uh, hey we'll gloss we over got that worse. Gloss over the significantly more wine soaked aren't we downhill we um and uh, we just wanted to explain that the reason we wanted to do all of this is partly to celebrate our one year anniversary mm-hmm. uh, because we launched in april 2020 um and also to mark the milestone of passing 100,000 downloads to date Woo-hoo! so um thank <laughs> you everyone this is this is uh, really just a fun freebie episode doesn't interrupt our normal schedule in any way it's just to flag up uh, our back catalogue really which which i think it's fair to say we're really really proud of yeah i mean and even though we made the show we still heard new things didn't we listening <laughs> listening back again it's so true isn't it unbelievable so, you know and i think part of the reason we love this one is it's just full of enthusiasm um helpful tips you know hints and stories about how to get into wine you know people who never thought in a month of sundays they would be ending up working in the world of wine yeah, that's what I love yeah. about it I mean, well we touch on on many things really there's there's the importance of education mm-hmm. um, with for example the WSET and yeah. Plumpton even wine the Master of Wine Trust. yeah, yeah. Uh, we also get practical hands-on experience uh, we discuss Australia New Zealand Italy uh, and we tell our own stories about getting into wine yeah there's even the Italian for bingo is there now? As far as I remember. I'd forgotten that bit. Probably again. blocked it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but just, just to pick up on the WSCT, the Wine and Spirit Education Trust aspect, um, just before we launch into the rerun, we've had a question in from Tom. Hi, Susie and Peter. I'm thinking about starting my WESET diploma course. However, I have a two-year-old son at home. Is this achievable? Um, so thanks for getting in touch, Tom. Uh, it's a good question. Um, so we consulted the Oracle. Uh, Erica Dent at Enjoy Discovering Wine, who runs diploma courses and who, of course, has been on the podcast before. Uh, And she said the following. She said, diploma, yes, not a problem. I have lots of students with little people in the background. They're a bit of a feature on Zoom at the end of the day, but it does seem to work well. In fact, one lady with three children under five just got a merit in the D1 Diploma 1 exam. So maybe they're a bonus. Um, What do we think? I think she needs wine. (laughs) No wonder she's studying. No wonder she's learning about wine. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Well, um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and actually, funnily enough, we may be exploring the world of the WSET soon in an upcoming episode. Um, But just briefly here, I'd say, you know, Tom, 
be honest with yourself about what time you have available. Um, mm. I studied for the MW when I was pregnant, and then we both took the exam when we had a young baby. But that was certainly easier, I'd say, than having maybe a two to six year old running around. Yeah, um, yeah. That's that's hard, harder, yeah, much harder. Yeah. Um, so just just sit down, work out what time you can spare on a weekly basis. Not not just what time you have, what time you can spare, given you do need time for your family, for work, for yourself, and. And go from there. Mm, yeah, I, I, we'd never actively discourage wine study. No, that's never, important to say. Never, never, never. It, you know, it can be the most fulfilling, amazing thing to do, even if you're really, really busy. Um, and it can it can lead to so many unexpected places, which is partly what we're talking about in this episode, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but equally, I think you're absolutely right. You don't want it to become a burden, so you've just got to be realistic. Yeah, and there are sacrifices to be made, but but. Be realistic. Don't 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 make it too stressful for yourself yeah, exactly. and your family. Exactly. Anyway, one other thing that we wanted to say is thanks to everyone who's given us suggestions for our Big English Wine Adventure charity mm. and wine names. Yes. Um, if you would like to win or potentially win some delicious, unique English wines, get your nominations in before Sunday the 2nd of May. Mm. All the info mm. on, on this is on our previous podcast episode and the show notes. Yeah, yeah. So, so back to the matter at hand. Please do check out other episodes from our back catalogue uh, there's something for everyone I guarantee you from uh, wine superstar Hugh Johnson to, to screen superstar Sam Neill uh, from Beirut to Burgundy and everywhere in between uh, and the odd rude Dutch phrase and indeed David Hasselhoff thrown in for, for good measure David Beckham too as far as I remember that's how you would remember that wouldn't you actually? <laughs> I probably would <laughs> anyway on that note we'll leave you with the episode uh, what we've done is replaced our previous introduction with this one and then just cut straight into where we start with the interviews so here we go First up, I spoke with Zoe Driver, who in 2016 became the first UK winemaking apprentice, a scheme set up by the Vintners Company and the Hattingley Valley Winery in Hampshire to encourage young talent to get involved in English wine. Zoe has since moved on to another Hampshire producer, Black Chalk, co-founded by winemaker Jacob Ledley, who we'll also hear from later, where she is now the assistant winemaker. I started by asking her if wine had ever been part of her career plan. Absolutely not. Um, I don't have any background in wine at all. Um, and I grew up in North London, so not many vineyards around there. Um, and my mum and dad... It's an odd one, isn't it? Yeah, no. <laughs> at the time, it was, you know, my mum and dad didn't really drink wine and I'd never been to any vineyards or anything like that. So it was definitely... I didn't even know it was a thing in this country at all. Um, so it's... Yeah, this career has come as a bit of a surprise to me, to be honest. Um, but I'm very glad that it's and, happened. And when did it? When did the idea of wine first um, take hold? Um, when I finished university, which was nothing to do with wine, um, I took a couple of years to travel, um, and I was in Australia, uh, completely run out of money, so I had to get a job. Um, and I worked front of house for Domaine Chandon. And okay, so sparkling wine. Yeah, producer. it was in, and in the Yarra. In the Yarra, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, and really enjoyed it. But I saw some of the guys working in the winery, and I thought, actually, that looks really cool, really interesting. Um, so I asked if I could, you know, maybe help them out, and they, that's when they offered me to work the 2015 harvest. Um, completely fell in love with it, which I didn't expect to happen at all. Um, it's it was so alien to anything I'd ever done. But I'm so glad that. It's worked so, out. Like so you, you were at Chandon for just that one one half. Yes, yeah, so I was there for six months, all in all, um, and then 
came back to the UK a, a few months later um, and then kind of put the idea of working in wine out of my head because I, I just didn't think it was a thing in the UK. I mean, I knew there were a few vineyards, um, but I just assumed most of them would be family run or would be too small to, you know, want to hire anybody. Um, so, yeah, I tried a few sort of normal office jobs um, for a few months. So I think I worked at did events. I worked as a travel agent. I did various things, but I hated it all. Um, and that's when I realised, actually, I do need to try and find a way of somehow working. Working in wine. Yeah, for sure, yeah. And and so when did the... the uh, tell us about the Hattingley. Presumably Hattingley came along next. Yes. So I saw um, the advert for the... Um, the first UK winemaking apprentice role at Hattingley and initially I wasn't going to apply because I just didn't think that I would be hired I didn't have I just didn't think I had enough experience or enough knowledge um but in the end I thought no just go for it what's the worst that's you know can happen um and went along for an interview um which I can't remember now because I'm so nervous but it must have gone okay because um yeah I was offered the position which was just brilliant um it was everything that I could have wanted in terms of it was a full time job in a winery, you know, learning making sparkling everything. wine, yeah, actually, making sparkling which you've wine. obviously done in, yeah. in Australia. Um, but at the same time, you know, going out to do some education, uh, doing my WSETs, getting my forklift license, all that kind of thing. Um, it was a dream, pretty much, you know, to get that um, apprenticeship. Um, and so now at Blackshot, what's your role here? So this is another Hampshire winery, yes. making sparkling wine yep. uh, with Jacob Ledley. Uh-huh. Um, and what, what's your role here? So I'm the assistant winemaker here. Um, it's a lot smaller than Hattingley. Um, it's um, very much in its infancy. So the winery is currently being built. We can, we can see the winery outside, <laughs> uh, just outside the door being built. Yep. It's a um, skeleton at the it moment. Is. Um, so we don't actually have a winery yet. Um, but what's really nice about sort of being here from the beginning is... Um, I think it's probably quite a rare opportunity to be able to be part of something so young. And, you know, I get the opportunity to kind of grow alongside the project itself. And which probably is, has some sort of influence in yeah, it as well. Um, yeah, which it's it's brilliant. I think um, I've sort of taken on a bit more responsibility um, and Jacob's quite keen on me having my own kind of passion project here. Um, so, yeah, I get to be a bit more creative, which is really cool. Make your own wine. Yeah, make, make my own wine, which is bit nerve-wracking but you know (laughs) so Um, if you were if you were to give advice now to um to a person at school mm -hmm. or university who maybe had never thought of wine Mm. as a career or or just listening to this and thinking oh my goodness that's something I'd quite like to do what what would your advice be I would highly recommend anybody um even if it's you haven't even you know thought even if you don't like wine I would highly recommend doing a harvest somewhere doesn't even have to be in the UK anywhere um maybe because, somewhere warmer yeah yeah why not <laughs> so many places you can choose um because it's so much fun and you really will learn so much about yourself and about uh, maybe an industry you'd like to be in um I can't express enough what it's the best thing I've ever done and I am not somebody that I think you would initially think, oh, I can imagine her in wine. It's not, I just, I don't think I'm the usual type, but then I, that's what I think is so great about it. I don't think there is a type. I think you can be any sort of person. Um, and if you've got some passion, you're a bit creative and um, you want to really enjoy your job. And then I, I just. So you start with, start with the harvest. Yeah. Start with the harvest, see how you get on with it. Um, and from there, just, 
keep drinking wine, travel to wine regions, um, try and get a position somewhere and learn as much as you can. Yeah. And one day you might be making your own Maybe, wine. yes. Yeah. Black Chalk, where Zoe works, is a relatively recent addition to the exciting English wine scene. It was co-founded by winemaker Jacob Ledley, for whom wine wasn't a first career, but a second. Jacob was in finance before making a life-changing decision to study winemaking at Plumpton College. But it hasn't all been plain sailing. My first career um, started back in 2002 um, when I got a job with Barclays Bank. Um, and then I quickly sort of shifted through lots of different banks and ended up in Canary Wharf in London, um, working um, in investment banking, which at the time in my 20s was was great. I was living in London and was lots of fun, but quickly it's kind of lost its appeal, lots and lots of long hours, and, and it wasn't really all that creative or, or I, I, I just didn't feel very passionate about it. Um, and I took a sabbatical with my now wife. Um, we travelled around the world, and on that trip, through lots and lots of different countries, I started discovering wine. And Central Otago um, was the place that really, really grabbed my attention. And I have to admit, we fell in love with the romantic side of wine. Well, you have to um, if, you're, if you're with your future wife, don't y- you? Yes, yeah. And it was, you know, I, I often tell a, a very a romantic story about it, which is sitting on the banks of Lake Wanaka with a bottle of Pinot Noir and some Pinot Noir soaked cheese from, from a winery over there. And we said, wouldn't it be wonderful to be doing this rather than, you know, our our day jobs? It's a bit of a risk, isn't it? You know, you're in banking, your wife's got a, a decent job, you've got financial security. I mean, nobody's going to say moving into wine is going to give you financial security. No, I definitely got some funny looks from the family I I mean everybody was very supportive but you could kind of see behind the the smiles was is this guy slightly mad Um, we both quit our jobs on the same day we sold up in London we started a family and I went to Plumpton to study um, viticulture and enology in 2009 started in September Um, but yeah it, it felt from day one like a real adventure. And if you had any, just just finally, one little bit of advice for, for somebody at school now or at university thinking, I'd like to go into wine, what would you say to them? Go and get some formal education in wine, get the theory, get the background, but try and complement it with some practical experience because they are very, very different things, but you need them both to make a real success of a career. Jacob Ledley from Black Chalk there. One thing that keeps coming up when discussing how wine can become a career is the importance of education. The Wine and Spirit Education Trust, or WSET, is one of the best-known wine education providers, with courses run all around the world and qualifications globally respected. Plumpton College is where aspiring winemakers and other wine professionals go to learn their craft in the UK. And it's also where our next interviewee learnt the ropes too. In early 2020, Amika Zago became the first Head Start apprentice at Holgarten and Novum Wines, a respected wine importer. I asked her why she went to Plumpton in the first place. My dad's Italian, so I was brought up in kind of drinking family. Where my dad has opens wine every evening with meals, and he also has made wine every year. Okay, whereabouts? 
uh, in my garage <laughs> <laughs> with plastic barrels. Just, so let's talk about the terroir. Where is the garage? Um, in Hertfordshire. And I've made it ever since I can remember, probably since I was about three, I've been helping out with that. You've been and helping out with tra- My English grandma helps as well. <laughs> so there's us three in the garage. People walking down the street always find it a little bit strange seeing us making wine. But it's great fun. I've grown up loving wine and hated my A-levels and looked up wine degree as a joke. Just started looking at university degrees, didn't fancy anything and thought, what am I interested in? The only thing I could really think of was wine. So I looked up wine degree and I knew that somewhere where my dad's from in Italy, near Veneto, in the Veneto region, they have a university for wine, but it's viticulture side. And I knew that I, because I make it as a hobby, I like, I'd like to keep that as a hobby and take that on as a tradition and family, but not to go into the job. So I really wanted the business side and found Plumpton College and applied when I was 17. So underage student applying. <laughs> Illegal was, uh, drinking age. Yeah. But, but you applied and were you, were, you were excited when you, when you found that option. Yes. Yeah. Did, was it quite hard to find? Did you not know it was something you could do in the UK? I had no idea. Absolutely no idea. And I didn't even really even think of it as a career afterwards when I applied for it because I found it one day and applied for it that day. (laughs) So I wasn't really thinking ahead. And my dad was so happy at the fact that I'd found wine degree. (laughs) Um, And how how was Plumpton? Um, It was great. I loved the lectures and it made me really want to go into the wine trade. I absolutely loved it. It's, it was strange because it's not a normal university setting. You're in the middle of a countryside. It's a college. Um, you you study, but during your studies, you get given wine that you have to taste. And you never, at 17, when you apply for university, you never think, oh, I'm going to be sitting in lectures, drinking wine, tasting. Just going back to, to when you started looking for a job, did you find it quite difficult? Yes. Yes, I didn't really find anything around for someone of my sort of level. Mm, given you'd studied it. Yeah. Or or lots of jobs wanted a sales rep straight away and higher jobs, which I, I didn't really apply for because I knew that I wanted to sort of see the trade a little bit beforehand, which is why this Head Start programme is great because I'm going through all departments and I don't fully know which side I want to be in. I think sales, but I didn't want to go into that job and then two months down the line think, oh, this really isn't for me. Working with Hallgarten through the internship and now through the Head Start has really shown me that the wine trade is definitely where I want to be and it's a great industry to be in. You can find more details of the Head Start apprenticeship on Hallgarten and Novum's website. Finally, we wanted to get a perspective from someone more in our sector of the trade. Wine writing, always a popular career, if you can get it. And I spoke to Georgina Hindle, France editor at Decanter, and asked her how she got involved in wine. I was very lucky, I'd say. So I was accepted onto the graduate scheme at what was IPC Media. So it's the same brand that TI became. Uh, that has Decanter, Marie Claire, NME, Horse and Hound, all those things. So I did the 18-month graduate scheme. It's one of only two people. 
And I did my stints, uh, six months on three brands, unrelated to wine, I did fashion, lifestyle, TV. And they like to place you in a job as much as possible once you finish the grand scheme. And I didn't have anything to go to. There wasn't anything around. And the girl in HR said, oh, you know, there's a job going at Decanter. And at the time, I was like, oh, really? Oh, I'm not sure. You know, I was kind of into fashion and maybe something a bit more exciting, you know, red carpets, all that stuff. Well, I'm really boring. Well, I just thought, you know, Decanter, it's, it's a bit of an old guy's game. And I really didn't know much about wine and, you know... I How old were you know. at this stage? So I was, what would I have been, 22? Something like that. And then after a few months, they said, you know, the job's still going. And I said, oh, okay, yeah, fine. I'll, you know, fine. So uh, I went and I had the interview and I thought, oh, okay, this sounds quite cool. The team looks quite cool. And I, you know, met the MD at the time and had a bit of a grilling interview, which was kind of nerve-wracking because I didn't, I didn't know that much about wine. But in the end, somehow, I got accepted. And I became the deputy editor online. And honestly, within maybe a week, <laughs> I was hooked, absolutely hooked. Do you think there is a sacrifice that you make when you enter the wine world as a, as a career, uh, which is sacrificing a certain degree of financial stability for a lifestyle? Yes, probably. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair to say that maybe you're not going to get the six-figure salaries happening all over the place. But no, it's I think it's a labor of love and it's a passionate career that you can feel really involved in. Mm. And obviously the perks are drinking incredible wines, having incredible food, you know, lots of them come with dinners and being able to visit these beautiful properties around the world. So is it worth it, do you think? Is oh, that absolutely. God, no. Of course it's worth it. It's definitely worth it. And you don't even really think about the financial side of things too much. You know, as much as possible, obviously everyone has to work and earn a living. And not everyone will be able to join the wine world, I don't think. It, it is a small industry. There aren't hundreds of jobs going for every person that wants to join. Uh, that's not to say it's impossible, but... You know, I think you do feel quite privileged when you're at this level um, in the industry. So some fascinating views and stories there. And the truth is that wine really can be a viable career, can't it? Well, absolutely. I mean, also what, what you've got to remember with the wine industry is there's just so many different jobs. You know, we're not talking mm. about one job, are we? We're talking about everything from, you know, winemaking, being a, that's a viticulturist or a winemaker. Yeah. Um, it could be somebody who sells wine. It can be somebody who writes about wine. It can be somebody who owns a whole vineyard and winery. You know, I mean, there's, there's so many different aspects to it. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think that there are some caveats though, aren't there? I think it's not a massive trade. Uh, the pay doesn't tend to be amazing in wine, as some of our interviewees have pointed no, out. I think very few people. Yeah, it's, it's not a career. It's not a. It doesn't tend to be an industry where you do make oodles of cash. No, and equally, it's not. Doesn't tend to be a sector or an industry where people say to you from the start, "Have you considered this?" You know, I had a mate at school who, who when he did those multiple choice things, he got what for careers. Went for careers. This is when we were about sixteen or seventeen. He got. Uh, air traffic controller and wine merchant. And we all worried about him. 
just, it's not something that, that comes up. But actually, what we're saying is those it two really, things don't. I'm sorry, they don't go together. That's a they, psychology podcast by itself. Is it? But you know, we don't tend to think of this as a viable career, and it is. And as you say, across so many different sectors. I mean, we got some figures from Wine GB. They say, and this is just about wine production in the UK. So in the UK, English wine and Welsh production. wine. People making English and Welsh wine. Apparently, about two and a half thousand people work in wine production in the UK at the moment, but that's expected to increase to about thirty thousand by 2040 now that's a big if but you know 30,000 people just on the production of wine this isn't anything to do with the 385,000 we've talked about before involved in wine and spirits distribution and sales in the UK mm. um, and I think we, we did a bit of research didn't we about salaries we and you've did, got some figures we did. there yeah we've got some figures so this is salaries to do with English wine production isn't it English wine production so you could start um, you're looking at about 18 grand so, so quite a minimum minimum wage but if you move up to an assistant winemaker that does start to go up so you're looking at 22 to 30 grand for an assistant winemaker you go to viticulturist 30 to 45 but then your winemaker can be earning anything from 35 to 60 grand i think it'd be quite interesting to discuss how we got into the wine world as well because yeah. you know we talked to jacob uh for him it was a second career and i think we we, we yes we we focus quite rightly on young people coming into wine but actually we need to think as well about second careers and even third careers fourth careers mm. wine's quite often there's a lot of refugees from other professions in wine aren't there well i think going back to what you what you've said already that you know often people don't consider it because it's not something that tends to come up in a, in a career First lesson but no and mine was definitely a second career absolutely 100% I'd always liked wine um, I'd been brought up in uh, in pubs and hotels so so I, that sort of catering world was something I was very familiar with but I went off and, and became an actress you know so I did that I studied in London and um, and became an actress and, and did that for 10 years I mean essentially I didn't work enough as an actress and I thought I want to study something now lots of my actressy friends would have done something like beauty therapy or those kind of things and I knew I liked food and wine so I thought right okay I'll go to an evening class at Lewisham College and uh, and do a, my certificate in wine I, you know I looked at what you could do and there was a, a certificate in wine and so I did that and um and that just one thing led to another and I did the certificate I carried on and studied and studied uh, I then won a prize to go to Champagne with for one of the qualifications that I got I can't remember maybe it was maybe it was the diploma went to Champagne and um, came back and, and contacted one of the magazines and said, can I write about it for you? And amazingly, the lovely Chris Losh said, yes, I could. And uh, and so that was when I started writing about Thank you, Chris wine. Losh. But what about, uh, I, I thought Oz was part of your story. Oz, the famous Oz Clark, Oz. TV's Oz Clark. <laughs> Oz is slightly part of my story. So going back, just to flipping back a little bit, I was in pantomime in Oxford playing Dandini, uh, slapping my thigh. <laughs> and uh, I think, I think uh, we might be able to find an image of this for the website I think I might have to do it I think I've got one seriously hope not (laughs) but um but we were in Oxford doing Oxford Playhouse and we were rehearsing actually at the time and uh, we had a night off and um I and a friend uh, who was playing Cinderella funnily enough uh, went to a wine tasting and Oz was hosting this wine tasting and we just had great fun and at the end I thought do you know what this is what I want to do so thank you Oz Clark too uh, and from my perspective I was you know I just wanted to be a writer I wanted to be a journalist and when I graduated I'd already lived in Spain I'd studied languages studied, I'd lived in Spain and Peru so I, I thought where should I go and Chile sounds fun 
So I went to Chile to, to learn to be a journalist there. I worked for an English language news service called Chip News under a lovely guy called Steve Anderson, who sadly has since died. Um, but he taught me the ropes. Um, he was pretty cantankerous, but he, he was a great teacher. So I learned to be a writer first and foremost. Um, but he also liked his wine and he saw that I was going off on the weekends when I didn't have any friends going off to the wineries. And he said, you know, he probably worried about my drinking habits. But at the same time, he said, why don't you write me a tourist guide to visiting the wineries? So I said, uh, it's one of those moments in life. That is a life. dream job, isn't it? You don't say no. Um, and that was where it started. <laughs> and you didn't. Came back, worked for Just Dominion Brooks uh, as a wine merchant, learned that side of the job, and then won a prize. So again, winning prizes, entering prizes, that's something we mm. both have in common. And uh, and then studied Wine and Spirit Education Trust. And this is another thing um, that we both have in common, and I think really comes through in our interviews, the importance of education. So yeah. whatever it is, just starting, showing initiative, the Wine and Spirit Education Trust is one of the biggest, uh, most globally recognised providers of of wine education. Uh, hundred, over 100,000 people did a WSET course this year. Uh, it's lot, amazing. It? Yeah, and that's, yeah. that's very well recognised. And then we've got Plumpton as well, which Plumpton is an amazing college down in the, the south of England. And there's um, others. Obviously, you, can, you know, if you carry on, you can do the Master of Wine, which we'd heartily recommend. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, I think what Jacob says about that mixing um, education with some practical experience, because even if you go and become a seller hand and work a vintage, it doesn't mean you can't then go and become a wine merchant. It just means you know about the business and the industry and you get some hands-on experience and do you know what <sighs> what talking makes me hungry i was thinking that myself mm. yeah time for something to eat and drink i think so let's do it fantastic Yes, this is where we get eating and drinking. And given the focus on young people in this episode, we've gone for some student-type dishes. Pizza and pasta, of course. Usually the plan is for us to do a sort of head-to-head with each of us choosing a favourite wine. But this time we decided to line up a range of wines and just jump in and see what happens. As ever, apologies for the clanking cutlery and other mealtime noises. So in front of us, we have a homemade pizza. I say homemade, it's not entirely. We've got a, a puff pastry base. Really not entirely. Well, I we think all it's pretty homemade. Well, I, it's I as close to I homemade as pizza buy the gets. puff pastry and then oh. stuck some ready-made tomato, uh, pasta tomato sauce, and then some mozzarella on top of it. But it's lovely. Um, and we've also got, uh, we've got two dishes. We've got a spicy sausage pasta made with some chorizo sausages and tomato. And it is quite spicy as well, isn't it? We'd, I've just it had is. a little sneak... I'll be honest, before before I, I, before we really tucked in, I had a sneaky taste. It's pretty spicy, but it's good. Oh, we love yeah. that dish, don't we? Which is good because we've got two very different, um, in, in some ways mm. similar because they've got tomato, but but very different in the sense of spicy pasta and very mild um, pizza. To compliment them, we've got a lineup of wines as well. Now, we've shopped at Aldi. We, we wanted to choose a range of, of styles and prices. Uh, we've got two Italians, a Primitivo at four ninety nine, which is our cheapest wine. And at the other end of the spectrum, we've got a Val Policella Ripasso at seven ninety nine, both from Italy. So nothing crazy expensive, just, no, just a, a mix of... Um, it depends what you mean by expensive. Yeah, that's true. You know, four ninety nine is really, really um, uh, cheap. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty honest, good value, isn't it? These days for yeah. wine. Um, uh, and then in the middle of those two, we've got an organic Malbec from Argentina and a Baron Amarillo Old Vine Red from Spain. And both of those are six ninety nine, so they sit in the middle of the other two. So um, now we did we did try the wines beforehand, didn't we? And and yeah. um, we'll be honest, um, you know they were okay. The Valpolicella at seven ninety nine, we expected a bit more of, didn't mm. we? So we're really hoping it shines it with the food. Disappointing, wasn't Sometimes it? Sometimes wines go better mm. with food than on their own, don't they? That's that's true. You can taste the wine; it can be boring. We've often found that the, as mm. we know, the simplest wines just 
sit really nicely with food because mm. they're not trying to battle with the food. They, you know, they, they work really well. I'm, I'm going in for the organic Malbec. Organic Malbec. Mm. Like that. It's a nice pretty bottle as well, isn't it? I have to say, I've just tried that one um, with the pizza and that is delicious. The, the, the Malbec nice. itself, it's a lovely, juicy, friendly, yeah. upbeat style and the way that Argentina is making its Malbec these days is yeah. less ripe and heavy and it's, it's absolutely delicious. Delicious um, with, easy with that pizza. That's a Tuesday night wine, isn't it? Not a Wednesday night. <laughs> definitely Tuesday. Yeah, definitely specific. Tuesday. Wine oh my goodness, that's a Tuesday night wine. It's a delicious one. It's, it's fun. Mm. I'm still disappointed by the Valpolicella. Mm. I don't think that, you know, it's not living up to its billing at seven ninety nine. I put a lot no. by price, obviously. And can I tell you a well, secret? Well, often, go on, go on. That Spanish wine. Yeah, I know what you're going to say. Is revolting. <laughs> well, revolting is a hard word. It, 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 it's harsh, but... It's, it's, it's pretty harsh. It's I think really it's fine. No, it's eighty-year-old old vines, is what it says in the label. I want yeah. those old vines to sing to me. Yeah. Is that too much to ask? It might be. It might be. I think that they've had their, their singing days are over. <laughs> well, um, but you know, it's what just, I was, it's sort of oak, oaky and, and 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 dull, and and then you put it with the food, yeah. and it gets even worse. Well, I, I I don't agree. I think it. I think it's okay. What I would argue with is the weight of the bottle. It's a really big heavy bottle we don't need that these days you know we want packaging mm. that is more environmentally friendly and that means you don't want to be shipping around the world heavy bottles yeah. so if you don't like the flavor i don't like the bottle <laughs> it, it's a no-no isn't it really? well i wouldn't recommend it i think no, it's so um... no. but in terms of it with the mm. so then we've got our pasta which i do think you know you've got to find a wine that works with a certain spiciness so in terms of spice, we're talking here some chorizo-style sausages mm. that have been chopped up to make this pasta sauce and some chilli in there. So you've really got to get something that works with, with spice. Yeah, and you've got the tanginess of the tomato, so you need some mm. fresh acidity as well. Yeah. Funny enough, that Primitivo, it's quite rich, isn't it? But it's got the acidity but you need. that's classic Italian, isn't it? Italian mm. wines, Italian reds are known for their acidity wherever they come from even in the the hottest sunniest most beautiful holiday locations they're still they've still got that acidity and that is what is making that primitivo work i think that's a stonking wine i really do 4.99 it looks good it tastes good who wouldn't want to buy that Mm, no i I agree and i think Mm. it's rare that we would we would go really for a 4.99 wine but that's well, speak for one. yourself. You, you know, you, you, <laughs> you've got standards and you've got a price. You know, you're not a cheap date. But are we both saying the same thing? So we think with the pizza, the Malbec works really pizza well. With the, Mal- the Malbec works really nicely. So Argentinian Malbec. But that Primitivo, four ninety nine, cheapest wine on the table. Yeah. It's it's a, it's a blockbuster here it's with that sausage pasta, isn't it? Fabulous. There we go. Bingo. What do they say? How do they say bingo in Italian? Got no idea. Bingo. <laughs> To clear one thing up straight away, I got it all wrong. Apparently, the Italian for bingo is bingo. <laughs> it's not bingo, all right? So I don't know how I could have made that such is a, shocking. Massive, what a mistake. massive mistake. I'm sure Peter we learned Richards. that somewhere in the Master of Wine programme. I'd like to personally apologise to my family, so to all bingo players out there, you know, anyone else. Anyway, to get back account. to business, uh, wasn't it nice to see <laughs> the cheapest wine on the table, all of 4 as the star of the show? Yeah, it's fantastic, wasn't it? I mean, yes, it's a richer style, quite lush, but it's a real crowd pleaser mm. and what's wrong with that it's great value yeah. 
delicious with the sausage pasta as well, frankly. Yeah, it was amazing with the food. I mean, let's also say there were a few duds in there. Uh, it's important to were, say that. Oh, yeah. you know, we are not, it's really important to say, we're not enthusiastic about every wine we try, even though sometimes we give the impression of, because we tend to fil- you know, filter select. and we tend to select the ones we're positive about to, to recommend. But, you know, it's great to find a good organic Malbec, isn't it? And, yeah, and that was lovely. And yeah. what I personally like was getting a little step closer to understanding your definition of a Tuesday night wine. It's it's like it's like the the mysteries. It's the Bermuda Triangle of my life. What mm. what is what Susie's goes, what goes on in my wine? head? Mm. So as ever, you will find the recipe and wine details plus the odd photo and uh, on our website, which is www.susieandpeter.com, and they are in the show notes with links via Insta and Twitter. And now it's time for the A to Z of wine. So, welcome back to our short, sharp blast of wine basics, decoding wine speak and providing food for thought along the way. After A is for alcohol, we're on to B for biodynamics. Now, this is a big old topic that can be both mystifying and magical, as well as fiercely contentious. So here it goes. Biodynamics is a farming methodology that's like an extension or an extreme version of organics. Think of it this way. If conventional agriculture is pop music, then organics is blues, and biodynamics is pretty funky jazz. Biodynamics is based on the theories of Rudolf Steiner, an Austrian philosopher. It doesn't just promote biodiversity and avoid synthetic pesticides, herbicides, fertilisers and fungicides. It goes further by aiming to make the vineyard or farm a self-sustaining organism with animals particularly cows, an integral part of the farming system. The idea is also to work according to natural rhythms from those of the moon to the sun, stars and earth. Homeopathic principles are also used. For example, treatments for the vines are made by burying cow horns filled with herbs or manure over winter. Then the contents are removed and dynamised or stirred into water before being sprayed onto the vines or soil to prevent disease and keep the plants healthy. Biodynamic winemakers also follow certain practices in the winery, for example, only allowing natural yeast to carry out fermentation rather than adding cultured yeast in powdered form. And some producers also bottle their wine according to the position of the waxing or waning moon. But does any of this make the wine better? Particularly since biodynamic wines tend to be more expensive given it's more labour intensive and the vines are often lower yielding. It's hard to know. Anecdotally, Biodynamic wines can seem to have a certain energy and brightness to them. And a 2016 US paper focusing on California found that certified organic and biodynamic wines were associated with a statistically significant increase in wine quality rating. So there could be something in it. Biodynamic farming certainly seems to be better for the environment. Studies suggest soil microbial life and vine root health are improved with biodynamics. According to a report from the journal Biological Conservation, the world is facing what it describes as a catastrophic collapse of natural ecosystems, with insects vanishing from our planet by 2.5% every year, which means in 100 years they could all be gone. Any farming method that promotes biodiversity and moves away from intensive conventional agriculture is surely a step in the right direction. It could also be better for us. 
Another quite recent study from the US found traces of glyphosate, a weed-killing chemical, in 19 out of 20 samples of wine and beer that were analysed. Although the levels were below what was termed the accepted threshold in many samples, it's still hardly a reassuring thought. Now, it's easy to be sceptical about biodynamics, but some of the world's greatest wines are made using this farming method, from Domaine Le Fleve in Loire in Burgundy, to Reineke in South Africa, Felton Road in New Zealand, Senya in Chile and Cullen in Australia. There are more than 600 wineries with biodynamic certification in the world, and we even have some here in the UK. Mm. Organic and biodynamic vineyards only account for around 4 to 5% of the world vineyard, but sales do seem to be showing strong growth. Some growers are adapting biodynamics to the modern era following certain principles, but not others. Whatever you make of the overarching belief system or methodology, one unavoidable consequence of farming biodynamically is that the farmer needs to be much more involved in the vineyard, which in itself is a healthier and more sustainable environment. And all of this has to be a good thing where vines and wine are concerned. Finally, as ever, we are featuring one of your questions. So please do keep these coming in. Use social media with the hashtag WineBlast or the website susieandpeter.com. This one comes in from Warren. How do you know when wine is corked? And is there a spectrum along which you can drink the wine? versus should not drink the wine. Okay, so the simple answer is that unless you are very familiar with what a corked wine smells like, it's just not easy to be sure. But that's obviously not very helpful uh, when you're in a restaurant and everyone's looking at you for the, the thumbs up. So the first thing to tackle is what we mean by a corked wine. Now, a corked wine is a wine that has been tainted by the chemical compound 246-trichloranosol, or TCA for short. And the most likely culprit, though I should say not the not the only one, but the most likely to harbour that compound and pass it then on into the wine is the cork that stoppers the bottle, hence the term corked wine. But the important question is obviously, what does it smell and taste like? And in very simple terms, a fully, a properly full-on corky cork-faced wine smells really musty, mouldy, actually quite like a damp old cellar. And when you taste it, it will either taste as bad as it smells or it might, it might just seem a bit dull and lacking any sort of fruitiness or, or character. Now, the slight problem is that levels of cork taint vary dramatically. And at the same time, some people are much more sensitive to cork than others. So you could have a very slightly corked wine that no one even notices and you just drink the whole bottle thinking it's not a particularly nice wine. Or it could be that the, the same wine is utterly undrinkable to one person and perfectly fine to the next. So yes, unfortunately, levels of taint do vary, as do people's tolerances to it. However, we should say that drinking a corked wine is not going to kill you. So don't worry if you realise that is what you've done. But our advice would definitely be that if you are in any doubt whatsoever, whether you're at home or, or you're in a restaurant, just open or, or ask for another bottle because life is way too short for corked wine. So that's us for this episode. Thanks for joining us in our wine fueled haze. By way of brief recap for those who may have nodded off uh, or for those who appreciate an executive summary. We are both 
Pisces. The UK wine and spirit industry is worth £22 billion and employs 358,000 people. And you could be one of them, whether it's a first or second career. 2,500 people work in wine production in the UK and that's expected to rise to 30,000 by 2040, with salaries ranging from £18,000 up to £60,000. Biodynamics may make wine taste better, but cork taint Certainly won't. There's a 4 99 Italian red at Aldi that is amazing with spicy sausage pasta. And this podcast could change your life. So please like, rate and subscribe. If you have a great story about how you fell into wine and would like to share it and help inspire others, please get in touch. Or better still, give us a nudge on social media. Remember, the hashtag to use is WineBlast. Our website is susieandpeter.com. On Instagram, we are Susie and Peter. On Twitter, she's Susie Barry and I'm Wine Schools. Until next time, cheers.